Well, I'm glad we have uh, last year on the women's retreat, we were missing a whole lot of people. So I guess what happened was the mothers didn't like how the fathers tended the kids while they were gone. Is that right? And so the mothers decided to stick by this time and make sure that the parenting was done correctly. I don't know. I enjoyed watching Mike Benny walk down with his harem behind him. The three princesses following behind. That was good. And, and uh, Joey's hanging on in the back, I think, back there. I don't know if he's hung on or he might not even made it. Yeah, Joey, you're still back there. Good job, buddy. I'll testify. You're hanging in there. Good job. All right. What's that? Uh, they're supposed to be with you. Do you know where they're at? <laughs> but I'm, I'm not worried because Jen is here. So you're, they're going to be okay. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, God is good. And all the time? Oh, boy. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to the concert tonight. I'm looking forward to coming and hearing some good music. Uh, boy, that's a little bit of what he can do on that harmonica. If you didn't get to see the YouTube clip, uh, just, just amazing. And, and I always love, you know, the, his sidekick, Jeff. I mean, you know, he's playing the accordion one minute, pulls out the penny whistle the next, gets on the piano. You know, those guys are, are just amazing. Um, looking forward to it. Well, I want to start today by just uh, sharing with you a little bit of humor. Um, stories told of a little boy who was sitting out front of the store waiting for his mother to come out of the grocery store. And a gentleman who was new in town came out and he said, he said hey, son, can you help me find the post office? And he said, uh, well, sure. He says, you just, you just go down this road and then go down a little bit, a couple blocks, turn right, and you'll find it right there. Now, this gentleman uh, happened to be a, a new preacher in town, a new pastor at a local church. And he says, you know, son, I really appreciate you helping me find the post office. And I'll tell you what, you come to church this weekend, and I'll, I'll tell you how to get to heaven. And the boy says, oh, come on. You don't even know how to get to the post office. Are you going to tell me to get to heaven? <laughs> Sure enough. Well, we can be confident, though, that the Apostle John, as we are about in the middle of our series of the seven signs of Jesus, knows how to tell us how to get to heaven. And it's found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came and brought heaven to earth. And so today we're going to look at the third sign of John in chapter 5, where he puts a signpost again of showing us, here is the kingdom of God, here is heaven come to earth, here is everything and everyone you need to know and believe in. His name is Jesus from the Father. So if you have your Bibles today, I want to invite you to turn to chapter 5. We're going to put it up on the screen for you as well. In John chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, John writes for us, Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, with an Ara- which in Aramaic is called Bethesda and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. John tells us that there's a pool in Jerusalem called Bethesda. It's still there today under a lot of rubble, But if you want to see it, you can go there and you can find under the multiple layers over time and and history, there is the pool of Bethesda, not far from the Temple Mount. But there was this pool, and, and the term Bethesda means house of mercy. Here was this pool, kind of like a trapezoid shape, that 
was about 200, about 165 to 220 feet wide by 315 feet long, divided by a central partition. And all around the pool was a colonnade, and then there was a colonnade over the partition. And so, as John says, there were five colonnades. And around this pool were all of these blind, lame, and paralyzed people hoping for a miracle at the house of miracles. It wasn't just Jews who were there. There were a lot of Greeks or pagans as well. In fact, at one point, the pool had been dedicated to a god of healing in, the, in Greek beliefs. In fact, the, uh, the symbolism of that healing is still found as a symbol for medicine today. And it was the rod of this Greek god, which was its, his rod with a serpent around it. You seen that symbol? I saw that a lot growing up. My dad was a pharmacist for 40-some years, and, and that was on everything. And that came from this Greek god in whom this, uh, this pool had been dedicated to. So there were people of all kinds that had come to the house of mercy, hoping to receive mercy from, from some god somewhere to bring healing to their body. The Bible says that the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed, and, and interestingly enough, that word paralyzed in the Greek is xerxox, which is where, you ever heard of the, uh, the, the term xerox? You've probably heard that term. Um, that term in the Greek means to be dried up. And that's where, now, that was a day I regretted or I hated uh, when I was a child. I remember being in elementary school, and we used to, uh, they used to make copies. Some of you won't know about this. Many of you will. But they used to make copies. Uh, what did they, Jeff told me what it was after first service. What was it called? Memeographs, right? Is that right? And it was kind of that purplish print you know, purplish blue, and it was kind of a little wet still, and it smelled so good, you know, it's just, your teacher would hand out what she just mimeographed, and they, all the students would just go, ah, you know, and the day just got better from that point out, and it was just a good thing. And then Xerox showed up, and then Xerox showed up, and, 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 and they developed the patent, this, this drying process, so now it was black and white, and now, you know, it came out dry, and, and, and all the students were like, where'd it go, you know? Well, what happened? And all the teachers were so happy that this great god Xerox had showed up in the office now because it made life so much easier. But that's where the term Xerox comes from. It's actually Xeron, uh, paralyzed, means to be dried up. But one, the scripture says, and maybe, you're, maybe you have a special Bible here today. You have verse 4 in your Bible. Anybody here have verse 4 in their Bible? Because most of you are probably missing verse 4. It goes right from verse 3 to verse 5. And the reason being is because most of our most reliable manuscripts and the oldest manuscripts that we have of Scripture, they don't have verse 4. That was added later. And that's where you probably heard, but it's not showing up in your Bible, that when the angels came upon the waters, the water stirred, and that meant it was time to get into the pool. But in reality, there was, there was a spring underneath those pools that, that help provide waters. And when there was a bubble, it would make the waters move. And that's where people thought, it's time to get into the pool. And so people were hoping that some God up there would show mercy to their situation. And John brings out one, one, he says, who was there and had been an invalid for 38 years. And then Jesus shows up on the scene. I love how Jesus just shows up at places. He shows up at this huge crowd of hundreds of people looking for mercy. And Jesus saw him lying there. 
And the NIV doesn't do it justice. It says, and learned. Jesus knew. The word there is know. Just like he knew Nathaniel under the tree. Just like he knew the woman at the well. He knows people. And he comes. And he saw him lying there. And he knew that he had been in this condition for a long time. And he comes to the man. And I want you to imagine. Here is a man. He's paralyzed. He's not sitting up eating lunch. He's lying on his back. He's lying there looking up. And as he's lying there, Jesus stands over him and looks down on him. You ever been there like, you know, you're at the beach and you're lying there on the beach and someone's standing over you, you can feel their presence and you look up, yes, you know. There's this man, he's lying there on his back and Jesus is standing over him. And he says, he says to him these words, do you want to get well? Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to get well? What a question. If you've been paralyzed for 38 years, don't you think it would be a no-brainer? Of course I want to get well. Yes. And Jesus says to him, do you want to get well? This man standing over you, do you want to get well? Sir, he replies, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. There's no way I can get well. I, I have a problem here. Now, it's interesting because I think this man is, is very similar to the rest of us in that if there's something to be done, there's only one way to do it. We think it's got to be done this way. And yet when Jesus shows up, don't box him in. Don't tell him how it has to be done. Because chances are it's going to be done exactly the opposite of how you're telling him it needs to be done. Not once in the Bible does Jesus do something exactly the same in someone's life. Maybe the same outcome, but not done in the same way. When he has conversations with people, he doesn't have a rote formula that he uses as a speech every time when he talks to somebody. He listens to them and speaks to where they're at and the condition that they're at. That's the way mercy works. Because all of us and every human being that's ever walked the face of this earth find themselves in some pretty strange situations. Amen? We find ourselves in some pretty strange messes sometimes. And God's specialty is getting into messes. He comes to places where mercy is needed. See, if we don't need mercy, then we don't need Jesus. But my guess is we all need some mercy in our life. And so Jesus goes to places where mercy is needed. And he goes to this pool because mercy is needed. And he's standing there and, and the man tells him, but I can't get into the pool. Well, I don't know everything about this man, nor does every, any other commentator or anybody else who's written on this. But there's probably an idea that this man, Jesus is asking this man, do you really want to get well? Because that's going to mean a change for you. That's going to mean that you're going to enter back into society fully, and you're going to be needing to work again. You're going to be needing to do some things. You're going to have to take responsibilities, and you're going to have to do some caring for others instead of everybody taking care of you. Are you, are you sure you want to get well? Are you sure you want that? You know, it's kind of like, um, for those of us who like to watch sports or amazing musicians, 
You know, I mean, I've sat in front of countless guitar players going, oh, I wish I could play like that. Oh, I wish I could sing like that. I wish I could shoot the basketball like that. Really? Think about it. Because then you have to think about all the years and the decades they spent getting that good. Do I really want to spend hours on the guitar, like eight hours a day? Or would I rather be out doing other things that don't require so much discipline? Do I really want to be able to run that fast and to be able to shoot the ball like that? That's a lot of work to get to that point. In reality, obviously, my testimony is no, (laughs) I don't. Because I'd be in a lot better shape and I'd play a lot better. We don't think about those things. But like this man, Jesus says, do you want to get well? Is that something you really want to do? Because it's going to be a lot of change. Yes, he says, I want to get well. And so he goes on. And Jesus says in verse 8, some powerful words. Then Jesus said to him, arise. Now your translations may not say that, but that's what the Greek is saying. Then NIV says, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. But Jesus was saying, arise, come to life, stand up. You see, this word in the, in the Greek is a word that's associated with resurrection in other portions of Scripture. And so he's saying to the sleep, wake up, restore from a dead and damaged state, be healed, raise to life. It means to cause something to exist, to raise up and give birth to a child. That's the word that Jesus was speaking into that man's life that day. Arise. And he came up and he stood up. In verse 9, at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Triumph. The kingdom of God had broken into a situation that had no hope. No hope whatsoever. The impossible had happened. No human being could make this man well. And God had come in and made him well by speaking into his life. Did he touch the man? No. Did he help the man get up? No. He spoke to him. He received the word of Jesus and obeyed. At this point, the story is, yea, God. God has triumphed. But then the second half of verse 9 happens. It's kind of what you might have heard you in other places as the rest of the story. The second half of verse 9, John throws in this comment in which he says, oh, oh, by the way, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Uh-oh. John is going, um, there's an important thing that's going to happen here. And, and, and Jesus did this on the Sabbath. Um, problem. You see, the man's been paralyzed for 38 years. Couldn't Jesus have at least waited until sundown? I mean, just think about it. You know, sometimes in church life, as pastors, we have to be careful not to slip into temptation. And the temptation is to try to make everything okay for everybody so nobody ever gets upset. And so sometimes the goal of ministry, if we're not careful as pastors, is to try to get from when you started ministry to when someday either God takes your life or you retire without anybody ever being upset. But if I'm going to be a true pastor, that's not following Jesus very well. 
Because Jesus did a lot of things. Now, I'm not saying I'm going to try to do a lot of things to just get people upset. Because then nobody's happy. But do you think Jesus just accidentally healed on the Sabbath that day? Like Jesus just went to Bethesda and healed. Oh, whoops, I forgot it was the Sabbath. I wish I would have waited. He intentionally did this. By the way, John says, the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so now we have what some commentators call the aftermath of the miracle. Because here's where it really gets messy. In verse 10, John goes on and he says, And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this man who told you to pick up, pick it up and walk? In verse 13, I love, The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I love that verse. You know why I love that verse? Because it tells us that the mercy of God comes to us even if we don't acknowledge who God is. He did not even know who Jesus was. He was just the man who stood above him and said, do you want to get better? And he accepted. I love that about God. He comes to all of us as human beings, even if we don't know who he is, even if we don't have our beliefs right, even if we have got some of our doctrines messed up, of all 28 of them, we don't know them all, God comes to us in his mercy. And he says, I love you. Life is all about me saving you. It's all about me coming to you and you knowing me. Don't lose the forest for the trees. You see, what I think John is also telling us here is that while he healed this man by the pool, he also wanted to heal a lot of religious people. You see, I would suggest to you this morning that these religious leaders were paralyzed. They were Zeron. They were Xeroxed. They were dried up. And they needed some life. And Jesus came to them, and this miracle provided an opportunity for him to try to get to his people, to try to get to his church, the people who were to know about the mercy and the love and the compassion of God. And so he created this fun situation on the Sabbath. And he came, and he enters this discussion. You see, when I, was, uh, when I was younger, as a child, I can remember elementary years, and um, I, I kind of had to deal with something some of you might know. In fact, in fact, statistics show that there's probably several people in here who wrestle with the same thing that I've wrestled with and, and still to some degree am challenged with. It's called OCD. You ever hear of it before? Obsessive Compulsive Disorder. And I can remember as a child, you know, having to do things a certain number of times. Uh, I can remember, now you may laugh at this, and it's, and it's kind of funny, but it's just the way I rolled. You, I remember hearing the story, you know, of Naaman. You remember what Naaman had to do in order to get clean? What did he have to do? How many times? Thank you. So... I began to think, whenever I drink out of a drinking fountain, what do you think I had to do? I had to turn it on and off seven times. 
Because then the water would be okay to drink. Okay? So aren't you glad you were never behind me in the line to get a drink? <laughs> Especially at recess when it's hot and you've been playing basketball. And you go up there and you're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. You know, after a while, and then if you missed one, I mean, what do you got to do? Do it again, you know? So there you are. Come on, Chicorelli, I'm thirsty. You know, okay. So then you have to try to cover it. Because then you don't want people to know that you're doing this on and off seven times. So you're acting like you're drinking. So now you're lying, right? You're like faking like you're drinking. And you're, come on, Jesus, help me. You know, get in there. And then, of course, we all know, step on a crack. See, you're not OCD, are you? <laughs> but some of us, and probably many of us are, wrestle with some of that in different forms. I still wrestle with it in different ways. But there's, you see, I want to suggest to you that, that, the religious leaders in Jesus' time suffered what Erwin McManus would say is ROCD, religious obsessive compulsive disorder. You see, what it is is it's a system and a way of life that you believe will give you life, but it doesn't. And you're obsessed about it. You're compulsive about it. Are we ever like that in the church? No. Never. Growing up in this church, I've never seen that lived out. I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. I'm putting myself in there, too. You know, things that if you do these things, they are life-giving. And yet it seems like it's killed a lot of people over the decades. In fact, I would like to say some of these things have even killed the church. So much so that when you go into some churches today, you go, where are the people? Maybe some of the ROCD didn't give life. And Jesus stepped into this situation to say, okay, let's talk about Sabbath. You want to talk about Sabbath? Let's talk about it. And he throws out the greatest line that you could throw out. He says in verse 17, he said to them, and you don't want to say this if, if you believe in their way of Sabbath. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his what? On the Sabbath? My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am what? Working. Oh, that set the Jews off. Working on the Sabbath? They had 39 rules of what you could not do on the Sabbath. 39. You couldn't carry a needle in your jacket. You couldn't wear a brooch on the Sabbath. You, I mean, you could go on and on with all these things that was work on the Sabbath. Did God tell them those things? No. Isn't it interesting how we can put things on God things and end up with a huge burden and no life whatsoever? My father is always at his work to this very day, and I, too, am working. For this reason, verse 18 says, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. You feel the love? You feel the love from the people of God? For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. You see, they misunderstood Jesus again. They misunderstood when he said that he was working with his father. 
They saw him as someone who was saying, I am God independent of the Father. But Jesus was trying to tell them, no, I am intimately involved with your Father. And he and I are working all the time. When you read the scriptures, as you read on in John, he goes on in the rest of chapter 5, amazing, amazing conversation with these religious leaders, talking about he and the Father working together and that Jesus cannot even do anything apart from what his Father does and tells him to do. And Jesus invites us into that relationship later on as he teaches his disciples. And so Jesus has come to these religious leaders. He's come to the paralyzed man. He's come to the religious leaders who were also paralyzed, saying, I want to give you mercy. I want to bring you mercy. That's what I came here for. I come to bring you mercy. No matter what situation you have been in, no matter what situation you are in at this very moment, no matter what situation you find yourself at 10 years down the road, I am here to give you mercy. I am here to love you where you're at, not as you should be. Because no one who's ever walked the face of the earth other than Jesus Christ has ever been as they should be. Jesus invites us into that merciful relationship with the Father. In Matthew chapter 11, he said those wonderful words, and I love the way Eugene Peterson brings it out in the message. Jesus says, The Father has given me all these things to do and say, this is a unique father and son operation coming out of father and son intimacies and knowledge. No one knows the son the way the father does, nor the father the way the son does, but I'm not keeping it to myself, thank God. I'm ready to go over it line by line with anyone willing to listen. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Do you want to get well? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. And work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so glad you came. We are so glad that your Holy Spirit came upon John the Apostle and inspired him to write signs, signposts that would point us clearly to you, that would point us to you, the way, the truth, and the life that he could show us in the word today that no matter where we are, you know we're there. Whether we are hurting physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, you come in mercy. You come and you want to bring healing. Lord, may we join you along with the Father in the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and grow to know your mercy in such a profound way that our lives will be so full of your mercy that we too will extend your mercy to those in this world we travel with. Thank you, Lord, for coming. Would you take a moment now in silent prayer and listen to Jesus.
speak to your heart about his mercy for your life. Now as we go, may we go lavished in the mercy of God. May we stand in the mercy. May we bask in his mercy. And may we extend his mercy to those we walk this life with. God bless you.